We will now be reading from God's word. Uh, we're going to be reading Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 18, and 28 through 30. And that can be found on page 929 in the Bibles in the chairs around you. Again, that is the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 18, and 28 through 30. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things, or draw away the disciples after them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to Trailhead. I'm glad you're here. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Those of you who are traveling in to visit family, uh, man, welcome. Glad you guys are here and that you're spending your Sunday, or at least part of it, with us. Um, I want to give you a chance, and, and uh, we've been, last week I, I uh, let you guys know that we are um, giving you the opportunity to ask questions um, as we move our way through this series. I want to remind you again, this just is going to remain open. This is, I'll be putting this up frequently. Um, if you haven't typed this into your phone yet, go ahead and do so. Uh, the whole point behind this is, is I know that as we open the Word of God, there are times that we open things in the Scripture that prompt questions for you. Right? And, and we want to interact with those questions. We want to respond to those questions. We, we honestly, at times, want to learn from those questions. And so your questions, your comments, your thoughts are valuable to us. And so um, go ahead and type that in. If you, if you text that or, or just call and leave a voicemail, uh, either way, that will come to us. You can also email us at questions. Um, we are in week four of a five-week series uh, looking at church leadership, specifically looking at um, the role and the function of elders. Who are they? What do they do? Why is it important? A lot of times church structure and church governance is one of those things that, that you know, it's the structure behind the, the, the uh, facade. That it's the stuff that gives strength, but nobody really knows what it is and why it's there. I think this is an important series for us because I think it's important for us to know. Uh, I think it's important for us to know what the Bible has to say about church leadership. I want to increase our understanding about what we do and why we do it. Okay, so that's an important part. Secondly, I want you praying for our elders. Our elders do an incredibly important task for our church. They serve our church in critical ways. Uh, and, um, and, and I think a lot of times it's easy to kind of forget they're there when we're just members of the church. We, we don't think about who they are or what they're doing. We don't, we don't consider the weight they're bearing. We, we, don't, we don't think about the price they're paying. And, and honestly, as a community, I think we are better off, all of us, if we are engaged, if we're praying for our elders, right? Actually lifting them up in prayer that the Lord would protect them and their families, that the Lord would, would, would keep their, their faith strong and, and their hearts pure, that the Lord would, would enable them to lead out of joy and to make sacrifices as investments and to protect their hearts from resentments, right? And I'm also calling us to pray that the Lord would raise up more. As we open up the elder process again, um, the first stage of the elder process is self-nomination, um, and the self-nomination form is on our website, trailheadonline.org slash elders. Um, but that's the first step, and, and that leads to a series of conversations, which leads to potentially being invited into a year-long eldership process uh, where, where uh, character, competency, care, uh, chemistry are all examined. Uh, and at the end of that year, if we believe the Lord is leading, then we actually recognize uh, the elder into authority. Finally, and not the least important, is I'm asking all of us to continue to evaluate our own growth and grace. Because when we're talking about leaders of the church, we're really just talking about um, people that, that are leading the way and stumbling toward purity, right? Limping into grace. We're not talking about superhumans that are able to do the work for us, to serve us, to, you know, they're not, they're not the ones that, that, that set the table so we can just show up and eat and go home, right? They are leading a community that is all moving in the same direction, which means we all need to be growing in the same way. And so I'm calling us as a community to be evaluating our own growth in grace. It is so easy to just fall into the habit of being, 
right? Of just being content, of just being undiscontent, of just being, right? Without taking initiative and ownership for our own spiritual well-being and growth, we, we oftentimes just kind of check out and float along. So I'm calling us to engage and focus. All right, this morning I want to introduce a new metaphor. This passage, this whole thing is filled with metaphors, right? We've been talking about it. elders have three names, uh, overseer, uh, shepherd, which is also pastor. That's, that's when we, someone calls someone a pastor. It comes from that, the shepherd, the metaphor of a shepherd, and, and elder. Um, and, and these are in somewhat, somewhat metaphorical. Shepherd definitely is. Well, I want to introduce a new one. Um, I want to introduce the metaphor of a community garden. You guys ever, ever been part of a community garden? No. No, nobody has been part of it. Anybody like the idea of a community garden? Is that a thing? Okay, all right, a little bit positive response there. Uh, you're like, yeah, that, that sounds lovely, right? The idea is great. And, and, and honestly, in, in, a, in a context like ours, community gardens aren't going to be as popular. You get into to super dense uh, urban contexts where it is very hard to have gardens. They tend to be much more valuable, right? People tend to be more inclined to, to join them, right? It's a great idea. You're able to grow your own food. Right? You're able to, to work with others in your community. You share work, you share benefit, and everybody gets to contribute. Right? You even, even get the kids out there, right? weeding, and, 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 and they're just filled with wonder right? when the seeds come out of the ground and suddenly it's a plant and, and, and it's a beautiful thing and it, the whole community is happier. Right? It's like the opening scene from an episode of Black Mirror you know, before everything goes bad. It's at that stage and some of you are like, I have no idea what Black Mirror is and that's all right. Um, it's a, it's a show where everything starts good and everything goes bad. Um, but, but community gardens are, are like that, right? They just look wonderful. But let me ask you something. There are thriving community gardens. There are community gardens that are awesome and doing really well. What makes a community garden work? What keeps it from just becoming an overgrown plot? What keeps it from just being a good intention? Something that everyone agrees would be profitable, but in reality just becomes a reminder that our idealistic dreams often don't become reality. What, what happens? Well, I'll tell you what, what makes the difference. Leadership. Leadership makes the difference. Uh, a project like this will rise or fall with leadership. You, you need people who are passionate about that community garden. You need people who are going to bring vision and be able to cast vision for it, right? Not just, not just cast a vision that compels them, but a vision that compels others, right? A vision cast for somebody who, who lights the fire in other people's hearts, right? They get passionate about things they didn't even know they could be passionate about, and suddenly they're talking about squash, right? It, it, is, it is a vision caster's job to, to share the passion, right? A leader's job solves the problems. When problems pop up that nobody else wants to deal with, leaders deal with them right? It's too inconvenient for somebody who's not really taking that much ownership, but leaders take ownership. So they solve problems, they step in, and they mediate conflict. That's fun, right? In a community garden where everybody gets together and and shared work and shared benefit, believe it or not, people often have very different approaches, right? Even different ways to to weed, right? Or or to plant different things. They they step in and mediate conflict and bring unity. They they do the extra work, right? When 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 a job isn't done quite right, a leader steps in and finishes out the final 10, 20, 40, 60% to make sure it is done right, so that when people show up, they're actually showing up to something that is, that is exciting to be part of. They, they adapt, they change, they, they take their vision and they adapt it to the reality of what is, right? So they, they, continually to lead, they continue to lead in spite of the challenges and the difficulties. Leadership, leadership is what makes the difference. That's a lot like church. That's a lot like church. We are in a sense, a community garden, right? We're all here because we want to contribute. We're all here because we want to gain benefit, right? And we have this vision that somehow we're going to get something more out of it together than we would alone, and we're right. We're absolutely right. That's biblical, right? In community, there is a much richer harvest than if we were on our own, right? Relationships and, and, and doing this thing together and watching our kids grow up together and, 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 or just being single together and developing friendships or, or whatever it is, right? We are a community garden. We all want to thrive, but there are challenges to that thriving, which means we need leaders. 
We need elders. So the three titles for church leaders, overseer, shepherd, which is pastor and elder. We've talked about um, overseer and shepherd over the last three weeks. Overseer, the one who, who leads, right? Overseers love by leading. They get above the fray. They're in the fray, but they're above the fray simultaneously, right? On the dance floor and in the balcony, um, in the dance of community and growth, but also in the balcony, leading it and guiding it and protecting it. Uh, shepherds lead by loving, right? Shepherds, the best shepherds smell like sheep, and the best shepherds know they are sheep. Uh, they are in and among the people. They, they love and they care and, and they bind up wounds and, and they help people grow, right? Shepherds lead by loving. And this morning we're going to talk about our elders. Elders guard through wisdom. Elders guard through wisdom. The term elder means older, right? It doesn't always require that someone is older of age, but it means that they are more advanced in grace. It means they've gained a certain amount of discretion and wisdom in the Christian life that allows them um, to, to bring that wisdom to bear for the community, to help the community to grow, to help the community to thrive, to, to, to foresee problems and, and the rest of that. In Acts chapter 20, the passage that we looked at, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows that, that this is really the last chapter of his book, right? He knows there have been prophets telling him, the Spirit has told him that something cataclysmic is going to happen in Jerusalem, which it does. He's going to be handed over to the authorities. Eventually, he's going to be taken to Rome and put on trial, which are the dominoes that eventually fall to his martyrdom. On his way to Jerusalem, he stops in the port city of Miletus, and he calls the elders of Ephesus to him. Ephesus, a city that is dear to his heart, um, and, and he calls the elders to him. And this is his last visit with them, and, and, and so he has this last chance to, to challenge their faith, to encourage their, their leadership. He comes around them as, as spiritual children, passionate about what he has helped them grow and what God is doing in and through them. And his commands are full of, of urgency and weightiness, right? He's like, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be back. I have run my race. I have been faithful to my holy task. Now, you elders, you need to be faithful too. Listen to verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I mean, this is just loaded, right? He starts out by saying, pay attention, man. Stay awake. Don't take a nap. Don't get dozed out, right? Be, be attentive. Be alert. Be present because this job is too important to fall asleep on. And, and then he uses all this language that increases the urgency and the weightiness of this task, right? He says, watch over the flock of God. Right? This isn't just a random collection of people. This isn't just a social club. This isn't just, just a, a, a whoever tends to... This is the flock of God. It's His. He is the shepherd. You are the under-shepherd. He, he is the one who, who, who owns it. You are the one who protects it. Watch the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, wait a minute. I, I thought I went through an eldership process. I, I, thought, I thought I just kind of self-nominated and people recommended me. And, or in this period of time, Titus, you know, tapped me on the shoulder or Timothy and said, hey man, I, I think you could be an elder in this community. What do you think? And, and so I just, what do you mean the Holy Spirit made me an overseer? I thought I was appointed by leaders to be a leader. I just thought I was part of a leadership club. The Holy Spirit, Paul says, is over the whole process. If someone is an overseer over the church of God, it is the Holy Spirit that has given them that calling and the Holy Spirit who empowers that commission. That's heavy. The Holy Spirit is the one who has put you into this position to bear this weight, to make this sacrifice, to do this work, right? Every elder has to be appointed, but God is at work in that process. And then he ends it out by saying, man, this is the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's not just the flock of God. He purchased it with his own blood, which is a really weird phrase, right? God doesn't have blood. This is the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And, and commentators and, and translators and, and, and even 
you know, you go back in time, people really struggle with this, right? Obviously, Paul was either misspeaking or, or the, the, Luke wrote it down wrong when he was accounting this. What does this mean? He bought it with the, his own blood. And, and I think the most obvious application is the fact that, that Paul's speaking of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the, the second person of the Trinity, right? The, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, three who's, one what. But, but the second person of the Trinity became man, that he might go on mission for God, a mission of love to redeem and restore, that he might die for those who deserve death, that he might give those who could never earn life, life, right? He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die as our substitute so that when we believe in him, we might be covered in his righteousness and brought into that flock. He purchased it with his blood. Man, that's weighty. He's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. The Holy Spirit made you overseers over this incredibly precious flock. God paid for it, and now He's calling you to protect it. If God cares about these people this much, you better too. That's the implication. Because this is a solemn, weighty, and holy task. Pay careful attention, he says, to yourselves and all the flock of God. Now, it seems that's two groups, right? To yourselves, you as elders, but also to all the flock of God, which I think is, is an important reminder that even the elders are part of the flock. Even the shepherds are sheep, right? Which means even the shepherds have to come under the authority of the other shepherds. Every elder is under the authority of the elders, Every elder needs to continue growing in grace and has to be accountable for that growth, right? right? All the flock, every single one of them, pay attention. Because when Jesus returns, He's not going to ask you how big you grew your church. He's not going to ask how many, how many, how many um, people were in the pews or how many pennies were in the plate. He, he's not, he's not going to inquire about your growth. He's not going to inquire about your platform. He's not going to inquire about whether or not you are an impressive presence in your community. He is going to ask, did you pay attention? Did you care for all the flock of God? To care for them, to protect them, to help them grow. Richard Baxter uh, was a Puritan writer, and, and I know Puritans kind of get made fun of a lot. Um, sometimes rightfully, uh, but there are actually some brilliant Puritan thinkers. Um, and, and he had an application here that I want to bring out. It was really, really helpful because he was talking about the complexity of shepherding all the flock of God. And he broke the sheep, all the flock, into four categories. He said, um, and, and, and so I'm going to change the metaphor, right? I, I, we're going to mix our metaphors because I get to do that. Um, so I'm going to no longer talk about us as a flock of God because we're not shepherds. Let's be honest. Most of us have never handled a live sheep, even if we wear wool, right? That's just not a thing we do. So I'm going to talk about it as a pool, right? We're going to go there. So, so first of all, um, the first group that, that Baxter describes, he calls the strong. The strong. Shepherd all the flock of God. First of all, they're the strong. The strong are mature and maturing in their faith, right? They, they, are, they are driving forward. Man, these guys are swimming, right? They, they, they know how to, to do, the, I don't know, the crawl, you know, when necessary. That They can even do the backstroke, right? They, they, they can do fancy things. I don't know, the breaststroke, right? Whatever. They're, but they're driving forward. They're competent in the water. They're not floundering, right? They, they're getting from point A to point B, and they've learned how to breathe in the process. So they're not doing all this exertion and suffocating and drowning. They've actually learned how to work and rest, how to engage God and, and, and engage Sabbath. They've, they, they're, they're growing in the Word, growing in prayer, growing in community, growing in service, growing in love. They're growing in joy because they're growing in their awareness of God's love for them. They are drinking deeply at the fountain of God's grace, and it is giving them strength and joy. They're, they're strong and growing stronger. And, and this, honestly, is, is what we hope to have a lot of in this church. It's what every, every elder hopes to have a lot of in their, their church, right? Um, these, these folks don't cause a lot of problems. They're really nice to have around. Um, and, and honestly, just from a pastoral and a fatherly perspective, it's what I hope we all grow into. 
Right? That's why we labor so diligently. That's because I want us to be a community that is growing into this joy and into this freedom and into this power. Growing in grace, engaging the Word, serving in love, giving in generosity. Now, if they're strong and mature, why do we need to keep an eye on them? Well, Baxter says we need to keep an eye on them, for they have need of our assistance, partly to pers- uh, preserve uh, the grace that they have, partly to help them in making further progress, and partly to direct them in improving their strength for service of Christ and the assistance of their brethren, and also to encourage them to persevere that they may receive the crown. So the first group in all the flock are, are the strong. Now the opposite side of the spectrum, Baxter tells us that we have uh, this community we need to keep on, uh, our eye on are the young and the weak. Right, you got the strong, but, but on the other side, you got your, the young and the weak. The young and the weak are, 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 are really just kind of treading water, right? They're in the pool, they're in the water, but they're just kind of treading water, right? Now, young here isn't about age, it's about maturity. So, so when Baxter talked about the young and the weak, he wasn't talking about people who were young in age, he was talking about people who were young in grace, Right? You have, we have a lot of, in, in this world, a lot of, of older people that are very, very young in their faith. Um, he's talking about maturity in, in faith, strength in grace, right? The Scripture often calls people who, who are at this stage of spiritual growth babes in Christ, who need the milk of the Word, right? They need, they need the Word, in a sense, broken down to its most basic elements for them to be able to digest it because they haven't learned how to, to, to handle it themselves, they haven't grown into a greater strength and maturity, right? The young and the weak need, need tremendous and careful care because they're, they're delicate, right? So you've got to be gentle. You have to be nurturing. You have to be loving. And this is, this is really, really cute when people are babies. You know what I'm saying? I love new believers. New believers are awesome. They're filled with all the world of unearned confidence, right? I love Jesus, and I'm never going to sin again. Yeah, I, you keep believing that, buddy. I am thrilled to be with you right now because your excitement is just, in, you know, like I know what's coming for you, right? I know it's going to get hard. I, I, you, you have no idea, but you're so cute. And I love being with you because, because your excitement is infectious. Your love for God is real, Right? Babies are cute when they're babies. They're not as cute when they're middle-aged adults who haven't learned how to feed themselves or change themselves. Um, Infancy was always intended to be a temporary stage in development. And the challenge becomes when people stall out in infancy, when they should be, be learning to swim learning how to become more independent in their faith, learning how to take, take greater responsibility and accountability for, for their own growth in the Word, for, for their own growth in Christ. They're learning how to, to, to handle the Word of God and, and move into community and, and, and learn how to be humble and confess sin uh, and, and, and not be so defensive and afraid. And, right? They should be learning, but instead they're, they're just dog paddling, right? Treading water. I'm hanging out over here. Well, that looks fun. I'll just dog paddle over here and I'll tread water, you know, and they don't learn. That's unhealthy. Baxter says, this is the group who, though they are of long standing, are yet of small proficiency or strength. They content themselves with low degrees of grace, and it is no easy matter to get them higher. They content themselves with low degrees of grace. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to push in. I don't need to push on. I, don't, I, don't, I, I just want to be comfortable. Don't get in the way of my low-maintenance, hassle-free life. Things seem to be okay right now. Why, you know, let's just, I'll just tread water. It's okay. I don't need to keep pushing in. I don't need to keep growing. I don't need to keep challenging myself. I don't need to make myself uncomfortable in the faith. I don't need to do that. Just treading water, hanging out. If they camp here indefinitely, it's only a matter of time before they join the next group. The next group are the declining. 
in all the flock of God. We have the strong, we have the young and the weak, and, and we have the declining, the ones who are struggling and sinking. See, if you tread water long enough, you're going to start to struggle, and you're going to start to sink, which means in the Christian life, it means you're going to start losing hope. You're going to get frustrated. What, what used to bring you joy is no longer going to bring you joy. The, the strength and the excitement is going to pass. Um, the, the freshness of the new love, right, is, is, is going to fade, right? And, and what should be maturing into a growing and strengthening relationship of love, if it doesn't grow into its strength, will instead become discouraged, demoralized, and disengaged. And it's not long before when we're in this state, we end up in crisis. We end up in danger. Baxter says of this, they, they are either fallen into some scandalous sin or else abate their zeal and diligence and show that they have lost their former love. So he's saying, look, look this group inevitably is either going to embrace some sin because they're, they're not pushing in to get from their faith, their deepest needs met in Christ, they're going to turn to something else to have their deepest needs met, right? Because they're, they're not finding their joy and their significance, their security and their power in the presence of Christ and in the outflowing of His grace. They're instead going to be turning to other things to find pleasure and escape and, and, and uh, significance and importance. Um, they're either going to embrace some sin or, or there's just going to be some creeping spiritual apathy that swallows them to the point where they're just religious, They're just going through the motions. They're doing the right things, but they're not motivated by the right passions. They're empty moral husks of people who may not be lost in sin, but their hearts are lost in apathy. They've grown lethargic. They've grown lazy, and they have started to sink. They stop showing up. They disengage. They, they, they don't come to the gathering of the church. They start disappearing from our community groups. They, they move to the edges of community, and that's intentional um, because when you're in community, you're accountable. And often people who are declining don't want to be accountable. They don't, until they're actually drowning, they don't know the danger they're in. And so they want less accountability and they want less visibility. And their increasing isolation makes them incredibly appealing targets to the enemy. So you have the strong, you have the young and the weak, you have the declining, and then you have the corrupted. The corrupted. Now often if, if, if as a Christian you were asked, man, who's a corrupted Christian? A lot of times you'd think of, of someone who, well, they, they've fallen into some grievous sin, and, and Baxter would say, no, that, that's the declining. What's the corrupted? Well, the corrupted are the, the clowns in the pool. These are the Christians who have been corrupted by allowing their lesser loves to become primary. They, they take the, the good things of life and they try to make them the primary things of faith. They mistake their personal convictions for God's cosmic decrees. When we take our lesser loves and elevate them to the level of, of our primary love, when we place something alongside the gospel and say it is equal to the gospel, we corrupt the gospel. This can be done with any good thing. Any good thing can become corrupting when we make it an ultimate thing. When we add it to the gospel of grace and say it is the gospel of grace and. In our current culture, um, there are some obvious applications. I think um, many Christians, both on the conservative and progressive side, are very, very tempted to take their political activism and put it on the level of the grace of Christ. It's the gospel plus this issue. And if you disagree with me on this issue, if you don't see the importance of this issue, if you're not fighting this issue the same way I'm fighting it, or if I think you're possibly even fighting against me on this issue, you can't even be a Christian. Because I've taken my political activism and put it on the same level as my faith in Christ. It can be anything, y'all. Personal discipline, right? Spiritual disciplines. 
Right? There are some people, man, they, they really they discover the beauty of studying the Bible and praying every day. And, and pretty soon, their spiritual disciplines are on the same level as the gospel of Christ. You want to grow in Christ? Well, you better be reading your Bible every day and praying every day. Now, are those bad things? Not a chance. Are they the gospel? Not a chance. So pretty soon what ends up happening is you start puffing yourself up in pride because your lesser love has become a primary love, and you start judging others because they're not engaging the same way you are. Right? Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is not pride and shame. The fruit of the Spirit isn't, I'm better than you, you should be like me. The fruit of the Spirit isn't, I know what's right, you better listen to me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And faithfulness, that's in there too. <laughs> Baxter says of this group of people, they, lo- they labor under a particular state of corruption, which keeps them under their graces. In other words, it's that lesser love that keeps you growing in your, in your greater love, right? It keeps them under their graces and makes them a trouble to others and a burden to themselves. See, it's ironic that those who are corrupted almost always mistake themselves for the strong. When they think of themselves, they often, which category would they put themselves in? More than like, what's ironic is that the strong are the least likely to put themselves in the category of the strong. The corrupted are very quickly apt to see themselves there. Not because they're strong in the fruit of the Spirit, but because they're strong in their lesser love. And they mistake their thrashing around in the pool for swimming. And when they're just splashing and thrashing and filling other people's faces with water, they're not making any progress and they're hindering others. They're corrupted. A danger to themselves and a danger to others. All right, this is the pool, y'all. Right when it says, pay careful attention to all the flock of God. That means elders are to love every single person in that group. Care for every single person in that group. Seek to come alongside and help every single person in that group grow out of their particular and unique weaknesses into uh, the consuming and, 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 and uplifting power of grace. This is the community garden that, that, that we are all called to labor in alongside, that we might, all, might all, all eat of its fruit, the benefit that comes from coming into community together with one another to create something that we couldn't have on our own, to experience something that we couldn't, we couldn't experience um, in isolation. This is the flock of God. And this, Paul says, keep watch. Pay attention. God loves them. He paid for them with His own blood. And He's entrusted them to your garden. Now, if that weren't enough, Paul goes on to say, uh, man, the pool isn't just unsafe because of the people swimming in it. The pool is unsafe because there are other things in it, which those of you who have that weird fear of water, you know what I'm talking about. Every time you get in water, you expect something to come bite your foot, right? You just... You know what I'm talking about. You're dangling there. You know something's just going to come and get you, right? It's there. That's what, that's what Paul's saying, metaphorically, not, not in real life. Metaphorically, in this pool, in this pool, there, there are dangers, right? This community garden is in a bad neighborhood. Keep watch not only over the people that are, that are laboring in this community garden, but keep watch because there is an external threat that is dangerous, Keep a watch, he says, over the flock of God because there are wolves. There are wolves. The danger is close. It is real. And it will come. Take a look at verses 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul makes it clear why the elders need to keep close watch. It's not just because of the chaos in the pool, right? It's not just because the flock of God itself is hard to manage, including ourselves, but it's because there are wolves circling watching, waiting, looking to pluck off the weak and those on the margins 
And, and it gets even more complex because the wolves aren't just out there. He says, the wolves will even rise up among yourselves. It's not just that there's an external threat to the people of God. People are a threat to the people of God. Unhealthy. Unspiritual. Demonically inspired people are a threat. And they're not just out there. They will arise, even, he says, from among your own selves. Leaders who will rise up, who will speak twisted things. What are the twisted things? The, the twisted things he's speaking of is the, the twisting of the gospel, the twisting of our primary hope. These guys will come in and they will twist it. They won't change it. They'll just twist it, right? The most deceiving lie is the one that's 90% truth. They will come in and they will twist it, and it will sound so true and so appealing, and they will twist it. It will become a false gospel, a false hope that will pull the sheep away. They will take the good news and turn it into very, very bad news in order to draw disciples away after themselves. Why are they doing it? To draw disciples away after themselves. Like a sheep comes in and consumes a sheep, right? Why does, why does, a, why does a, I mean a wolf, why does a wolf come in and consume a sheep? Because it's hungry. It wants to eat. And, and, and the sheep is sacrificed for the good of the wolf, right? These guys are going to come in and they're going to consume followers, not for the good of the people, but for the good of their own desire, their insatiable desire for platform, for importance, for significance, for power. Most wolves don't know they're wolves. Just like most swimmers who are thrashing around the water thinking they're swimming, they don't know that, right? Um, because wolves are distorted by their pride and their fear. There are some wolves who know they're wolves, right? There are some people who are evilly motivated and they know their evil motivations. They've just given themselves completely over to it. Right? That's one of the reasons we have such a secure and, and, and thorough background check for anybody who comes in and is part of our kids' ministry. Because there are wolves out there. And if we're not alert, we become easy victims. We're not going to do that. Right? There are people who know they have evil motives and they've just given themselves over to it. But most wolves don't know they're wolves. Their motivations have simply become distorted by pride and by fear. What's the hallmark of a wolf? How do you know a wolf when you see it, right? How does an elder know wolfish behavior, right? How do you know? A wolf shows up seeking to gather followers after themselves. And they do it by undermining the authority of the elders. They show up and they basically say, don't trust them, trust me. Right? Don't trust them, trust me. They're, they're, they're well-intentioned. They're just young. Well, they, they, they've got most of it right, but they've missed it on this point. Don't trust them. Trust me. Now, the two most vulnerable groups in the church are the young and the weak because they're young and they're weak. <laughs> they don't know what they don't know yet. They, don't, they just don't know what they don't know yet. But also the declining, the ones that are struggling and exhausted and almost drowning who are really, really prone to reaching out to the wrong hand for help. The two most dangerous groups in the church are the corrupted, those who have become evangelists of their false gospel, who have taken their lesser loves and raised it to the level of primary love, and they're walking around saying, if you don't agree with my, my lesser love, you, you absolutely are not part of the primary love. They want to sow fear and mistrust in order to get others into their club of corruption. The second group is the elders. Few people can do more damage to the church than an unhealthy elder. Few people can do more damage to the flock of God than an unhealthy shepherd. Few people can do more damage to the community garden than a ne neglectful leader who is willing to pull up both the plants and the weeds or ignore both. I 
I think it's instructive when we recognize Satan himself was the first worship leader. Right? He was the angel entrusted with the very glory of God. He was supposed to proclaim the glory of God and, and live in its bright and shining glory. And he became jealous of the very thing he proclaimed. And instead of being content, drawing other people's attention to the glory of God, he was driven to draw it to himself. I'm not calling you out, Brian. <laughs> Just saying. Elders, leaders have a tremendous influence for good, but also a tremendous pen- potential for danger. Pay careful attention, Paul says, to yourselves and to all the flock. All right, let me give you uh, three applications as we wrap up. First is this. We need watchful and wise elders. As a community, we need them. Right? This isn't, this isn't just about, well, Steve wants good people to work with him or, or man, I, I hope we have a, a good pastor. Or a, We need them. We as a community, I need watchful and wise elders. Not just to work alongside me, but to be over me. Men to whom I can be accountable, with whom I can be vulnerable. Men who will see my weakness and comfort it when necessary and confront it when necessary. We all need this. We need elders who are leading the way, elders who are practicing what they preach, who are smoking what they sell, right, that, that, that aren't bullies and aren't cowards. I was told once that ministry is a series of hard conversations. I was like, ah, that's, that's cute. No, it is. <laughs> ministry is a series of hard conversations. You're sitting down with people telling people things they know they need to hear, but they don't want to. You're, you're, you're encouraging them. You're strengthening them. Sometimes it allows you to come in and, and, and be the voice of comfort and great sorrow, which is tremendously costly. But sometimes it's coming in and, and, and shining a light on a pride they don't want to see that is going to hurt them, hurt their families, hurt their friends, hurt their community. Sometimes it's coming in and correcting a behavior they don't want to abandon. Sometimes it's, it's coming alongside and, 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 and aiding them in, in growing in things they don't want to grow in, abandoning things they don't want to abandon, embracing things they don't want to embrace. It is a series of hard conversations. And it's a series of conversations where we are comforting the weak, challenging the strong, and striking the wolves. One thing I've learned with a wolf, you've got to strike them. In love, in gentleness, in humility. But you've got to confront the pride. It's the only way you can tell the difference between a corrupted sheep and a wolf. Because a corrupted sheep, when confronted in grace, will respond in humility. A wolf will respond with their teeth. Give me an example, just real life. I've had to do this many times. This is normal, by the way. This is, Paul says this will happen. It's normal ministry. This is not exceptional. It's normal. One time we were, we were uh, and this wasn't at Trailhead. It was in another church context. I'm not calling out anybody here. Um, but, but we had a guy show up at the church, and, and um, we noticed that he was giving very, very generously. He was an older guy of great means. He had had a lot of success in business, and he gave very, very generously. And and, and, and he gave in ways that he made sure he got noticed, right? Um, and, and so we noticed, right? And, and nobody's complaining about that. It's awesome. When somebody shows up with great means and they're also showing up with great generosity, that could be a sign of strength. Somebody who's like, man, God has given me much so that I can give much and I can be a huge blessing to this community and allow them to move forward in the grace of, of God. And, and, and this guy was moving his way and, and networking and connecting with people, all healthy, all good, shows up in membership class, and, and we start hearing these conversations he's having. You know, just little things. Man, it's a good thing. He's talking to some of the older guys. Good thing we're here. These guys are just young. They got a lot of passion. They got a lot of zeal. But, man, they need a little direction. Some of us older guys can come alongside them and really help them out. And then we noticed that he started kind of angling for certain leadership positions. So some of the elders came and sat down with him, and we, and we were like, hey, we're really, really glad you're here. We're thankful that you're so generous, and, and we're really excited that you seem to be inclined to become part of the leadership of this church. But what you need to know is that your money's not going to buy you influence here. 
If you're going to lead, you're going to lead in submission. If you're going to bring your strength for the good of this body to this body, you're going to do it in submission to the elders that God has placed over this body. So you're either going to build them up and strengthen them and bring your strength to help them, but you're not going to compete with them. That's not going to happen here. And he looked at us and he said, no one has ever talked to me like that way before. He said, all right, I'll think about it. And he ended up growing. He became a leader in the church. He became a really, really strong leader. He never pursued eldership. He contended himself with, with leadership and generosity and, and mentoring and, and discipling, and, and he was a great guy. But he needed to be corrected. He was, he was just a guy who came in not even knowing he was undermining the authority of the elders, not even knowing that he was sowing discord and sub- subtly saying, hey, they're good guys, but you really need to trust me, right? That's, that's normal, right? We need elders who are bold to have the conversations that need to be had to protect the unity of the church and the health of our community, that are gentle in doing so. They're not showing up with wounded uh, uh, egos and all their daddy issues out on the table, basically saying, you better respect me or I'm going to get all offended, right? They need to be leading out in humility and gentleness, calling people to grace, willing to comfort the weak, confront the proud, and strike the wolf. Secondly, we need people who are growing in the strength of grace. We need people who are growing into the strength of grace. A community garden needs committed and dedicated people, right? It's not enough just to have good leaders. You need to have people that are, that are bought into the vision and are invested in what's happening. You need people that are going to be showing up on off hours because that's the whole point of a community garden, right? Everybody is working and laboring with families and overwhelmed, but they're still showing up because they realize their investment is worth the investment. We, we, we need We need strong swimmers who are not just swimming out ahead but encouraging others and helping them become strong too. People that are coming alongside others who who are young and and weak or declining and and not just swimming past them but but walking, swimming with them. (laughs) Got to keep my metaphors straight. right? Helping them, seeing them, loving them, encouraging them. We need people who desire the work of an overseer without craving the title or the position. I'll tell you what, man. Seven elders cannot effectively do this for hundreds of people. We can create systems to help make it happen. We need to raise up leaders, strong people who are going to be swimming with us, who help us do it effectively. We need you growing into your strength. We need you growing into your strength. Not just for you, but for our community. That supports the the declining. It encourages the young. And honestly, it makes an unsafe space for the corrupted because they start realizing that their secondary loves aren't primary here and that there's something better. And it often helps them reorient their loves so that Christ becomes primary. And thirdly, we need to build a culture of accountability. We need to build a culture of accountability. We need to recognize that in a community, we're accountable to one another. Tim Keller talks about how everyone loves the idea of community until you actually have to be accountable to community. And then it's not so attractive that that you actually owe people something, a debt of allegiance, a debt of love. That it's not just about them serving you, loving you, meeting your needs, but it's about you loving them. You being accountable to their needs and and allowing them to have influence in your life. Not you just showing up and, and, and having good advice for others, but allowing others to come alongside and walk with you in your need. We need a, a culture of accountability. And this is not just for the church, it's for the leadership too, right? There have been very, very, um, I don't know, more, more scandals than I can count of leaders who have disqualified themselves by becoming isolated in their leadership, protective of their position and their power, and creating structures that isolated them for their personal profit. Elders lead, but elders are not above critique or correction. The shepherds are sheep. The elders aren't just to lead in correcting. That is one of their holy obligations. Church discipline, 
which we're not going to talk about a lot, but I'll just tell you, church discipline is very simply coming alongside somebody who is struggling to get where they desperately want to go and helping them get there. Church discipline is carried out by the elders. That's their sacred obligation when it is raised to the highest level. But, but elders don't just lead in correcting. They are to lead in humility. We are just as accountable as anyone in the church and under authority and under the same authority as everyone else. Accountable to the elders and to one another. Which means even elders can be confronted. Personally, if someone does something dumb or says something stupid, <laughs> which can happen. But also accountable to the body of elders if something is necessary for correction. We all need to expect accountability because we're all building something here that's worth it. It's worth having, it's worth enjoying, it's worth investing in. All right, I'm going to close this there for this morning. I'm going to pray for us. We'll move into a time of response and um, we'll share communion in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, uh, that you gave us Jesus, the chief shepherd. <laughs> Man, what a gift. That the very Son of God, God Himself, would take on flesh and become one of us. So that He could live the life we were supposed to live, die the death we deserve to die, and rise again, offering us forgiveness. We thank You that You don't despise us for our weakness. You don't reject us because we are wayward. Even though we are often determined to run into our own self-destruction like dumb sheep obsessed with the tuft of grass we can't have instead of all the grass that's right in front of us. You come alongside us patiently. You come alongside us in gentleness. You come alongside us in kindness and call us back that we might be loved and forgiven and made new. We thank you. I pray, Lord, that we might be a community that reflects that character. A community that loves grace. That understands forgiveness and the power of being forgiven. That we might be free in our love for one another and, and, and quick to run to you in our need. That we might not run from accountability knowing, Lord, that ultimately in you we have nothing to hide and nothing to prove. We only have so much more to gain. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.